Welcome to Sunflower Brew. I'm your host, Zach Luya. Today we're going to be discussing community organizers and grassroots uh, campaigning with Amber Versola. Amber is here joining us today, and we're drinking a new, not new, gel, new Belgium's... Uh, Blue moon. Blue, moon. Blue moon. We're drinking Blue Moon, and it is not by New Belgian. So a little bit about Amber. Amber is a uh, was a lobbyist for the Kansas uh, Kansas National Organization for Women. Uh, she also was a president of the KC Metro chapter. Uh, it was uh, recently dissolved and absorbed into a, a bigger, uh, more geographically diverse uh, a chapter. She currently volunteers with the National uh, Breast Cancer Coalition out of Washington, D.C., and has been designated as emerging leader and trained team leader for the state of Kansas. Amber is actively involved in, as my screen goes blank, sorry about that, many organizations throughout the state. Uh, that being, the, she is the Kansas Vice President of the Greater Kansas City Women's Political Caucus. Uh, she's also involved with the Kansas NAACP Political Action Committee and is on the uh, Political Action chair for the Johnson County branch of the NAACP. <sighs> Long and distinguished career here. She's And a couple of things I also want to touch on. She's a 2012 Torch Award by uh, the uh, Women's Political Caucus, and it also was designated as a Shiro by the newly formed GYRL organization. Amber, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us today. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, you know, what is grassroots organizing and also uh, what is a community organizer. But I want to get back to um, a couple of the things that were touched on in your bio. What is GYRL? Uh, it's a newly formed organization by uh, those, it's called Giving Yourself Real Love, and it deals with women and domestic violence. Um, it was formed by... Brandon Ellington, State Representative Brandon Ellington's mom, out of he represents Kansas City, an area of Kansas City. Her name is Roach Ellington. But okay, what it, uh, domestic violence focus on? Um, uh, yeah, women's issues in general, like violence against women. Okay, well let's let's talk about that. Um, so it was started by a state rep. His mom was she a victim of domestic violence, or was this just kind of a, an issue that she had a passion for and said, you know what, I don't really see a uh, an area there that's being covered or there's that's a little a black good air? question i really don't know the answer to okay um, i i could make assumptions but i don't think that's fair i mean she would probably be able that roach is very outspoken she'd mm-hmm. be able to tell you much more clearly do they have a website that we um, can go to i believe so okay and i don't know what that is <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's let me ask you this what is a shiro? Hero. A shiro. A shiro. Uh, I believe they designated it as a woman who um, contributes to the well-being of others or other women, or works to make the city and the state a better place for women. Okay, so that's a great lead-in to you. Mm-hmm. How do you do that, and what does that mean for you? I do that. Uh, how I make the world a better place for women, or how that sounds very lofty. <laughs> yes. Um, which, which is, you know, the aspiration. I mean, how I work for, um, like, everything I work in is to to advance women in politics and okay. advance the rights of women and, in, in turn, advance our society and the well-being of everyone in it, men included. Um, but I've done this work over half my life. I started doing violence against women advocacy or advocacy for violence against women uh, when I was 16. I'm 32 now, so literally half my life, um, I started letter writing campaigns to legislators, trying to strengthen sexual assault laws. I organized different campaigns when I was in college and helped serve on like uh, 
sexual assault and domestic violence awareness week activities. Um, and that kind of stretched as I got older. I took a little break for a couple of years and then I got back into it and, and I've been doing that kind of stuff around community organizing around violence against women issues ever since then. Okay. Well, you said you started with your, when you were 16 and I, I have to ask the question, mm -hmm. what kind of prompted you to get involved in that? I mean, most 16 year olds are sitting there, you know, watching TV or, you know, now playing on their phone and, you know, social media and all that stuff. Taking the next step and saying, you know what, I'm going to be involved in this issue, that's a big step. Um, so what kind of prompted you to that, if, if you're comfortable right, with no, it? No, it's, it's fine. I've done this for so long, it seems kind of natural to say it. But I was, first started, I was a victim of sexual assault when I was 16. Um, I was acquaintance, I, I experienced an acquaintance rate by three local college football players. When that happened, I was I I'd had state records in weightlifting mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was seen as a strong tough girl you know I was the daughter of uh, my dad was an oil refinery worker an ex-marine and a cop um, I was raised to be like him I was raised to be tough and not show emotion well that really knocked the wind out of me and when that happened I decided that I could sit down and, you know I, I thought that it was literally going to kill me or I would get up and fight and so I did the only thing I knew how to at that time, and I got up and fought. And originally it was for me, and as it progressed, it was for other women. And now it's not just for other women who experience what I did, but it's also for, um, you know, for them to realize, to empower them and realize that they can go on and lead productive lives and be great, you know. It's, that event doesn't define you. No, no. The, the event doesn't define me, but the way, the what it took to survive it, is a big part of who I am now. You use the term, and again, we're kind of getting off onto a different tangent mm -hmm. here. Just, and that's unfortunately what we do sometimes <laughs> in this uh, in this podcast. But uh, you use the term acquaintance rape. Uh, is that just the the new form of it instead of saying date rape? And then also, there was a recent study out about uh, I think it was one in four teenagers um, stated that they had either been involved in some type of sexual assault. You know, either as a victim or had been a participant in some type of uh, a sexual assault. What do you think of that, about that from just just a sheer number standpoint? I mean, quarter well, percent of the population of teenagers. What it is is it's uh, – I, I haven't heard of teenagers in general, but I've heard of young women. There's mm -hmm. a statistic one in four. Young women, I believe late teen or mid-teens through college age, um, have been uh, a victim of sexual assault. And I think it's something that – is far too prevalent. It's almost like an epidemic in our society and it's something that's totally preventable. And it's something that it's not going to, you know, it's not a woman's issue. It's a human rights issue to me. And it doesn't take women to solve it. It takes women and good men together to solve it, you know, right. that are going to solve that. Um, and I forget the other part of your question. Acquaintance uh, rape and yes, date rape. Yeah, yes. Acquaintance rape and date rape. Uh, the, the terms are interchangeable. I think, um, I don't know if other advocates would agree with me or not, but, um, yeah, to me, they are pretty much interchangeable. Okay. So on to our actual topic here, uh, you know, that, that event prompted you to really get into, uh, community organizing and grassroots campaigns. Define grassroots campaign. What, what does that mean? I mean, for you, it was you starting to write letters and getting involved. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, for most people, they were just like, they hear that term, but they don't really know what it means. What does it mean? Grassroots is really getting down to the root of root of your 
culture or not culture society root of your communities mm-hmm. um when i'm a grassroots community organizers i you know i get down and i talk to people on a local level um i organize very you start small and it's you build big you start in somebody's basement talking about an issue and then the next thing you know you're holding a community event and then you're talking you know you're bringing in community leaders okay so that kind of then it's they, everyday people getting right. involved. So is that the term then community organizer interchangeable with the kind of the volunteer grassroots type of thing? Or is it you no, could be? Not really because you could be a grass a leader in a grassroots movement, I guess, and not really be a true community organizer. Community organizing is a lot of work, a lot of work. And that's what people hear grassroots community organizer and, uh, you know, they think. You're a jobless, jobless hippie. Yeah, jobless <laughs> hippie. And, um, you know, I'm always looking for that next contract and job. It, it comes through the relationships I build, and those relationships take time and work and effort. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so what, what do you view as kind of your greatest success as a, a grassroots organizer or, or community organizer? I'm sorry. It's the, Either one. The, say, the biggest thing that I – what means the most to me are the relationships I built. I'm mm-hmm. very proud of – from everybody, you know, the basic – you know, the everyday, your neighbors who I meet on your doorsteps, like I'm, I'm very proud of the relationships I built with those all the way up to, you know, elected officials in high positions or in organizations, um, leaders in organizations. I think that that's what defines success for me. I mean, if you look at issues that I've done, I was pretty proud of the fact that as the Kansas team lead for the National Breast Cancer Coalition and being a registered Democrat, I was able to get three of our um, congressional three, four of our congressional delegations to, or delegates to co-sponsor a piece of legislation for me. Three out of the four. Yes, three out of the four. The holdout was Tim Hill's camp. No, that's no, a shocker. Yeah, I know. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. So what what was that piece of legislation? There? It was um, the breast is the supporting the end of breast cancer act through the National Breast Cancer is a piece of breast cancer legislation is accelerating the end of breast cancer act mm-hmm. um, through the National Breast Cancer Coalition that established a commission to look at seed grants and look at ways to prevent breast cancer rather than finding the next drug or whatever right right and preventing metastatic tumors so it really gets into <laughs> this whole deal with the National Breast Cancer Coalition that I do but that was basically and, and we'll touch on that organization here in a second but I'm, I'm kind of interested how do you okay you approached the four, and this seems like a no-brainer. You know, preventative measures to, you know, obviously, you know, prevent, stop breast cancer before it starts. That seems like a win-win for everybody involved. I mean, obviously, it's mm-hmm. grant money for research. Not that big of a deal. We're talking about money. Right, and we're talking about money, and so that's always a big issue. But the thing, how do you get them to do it? Yeah, well, one, how do you get them to do it? And then two, when you have an individual, because this seems like such a no-brainer, that has pushed back and says, no, I won't support this legislation, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, I I know the piece of legislation when Mm -hmm. I go in there, and I tell them, you know, it doesn't, like in this case, it didn't allocate any new money. The money came from the executive, already funded executive branch and um, established a commission, and it's, you know, it had a sunset timed out. In other words, like it wasn't a never ending thing and all this stuff. But I, it took a lot of work. I met with representatives in their DC office, their staff. I met with their local staff. I attended town halls. I used social media. I emailed, I called. I'm pretty lucky I didn't get a restraining order, (laughs) but 
That's what it takes. And there was a joke we had uh, when I was working a political campaign or for President Obama's campaign in Denver. They're like, if you don't have two restraining orders by the end of this, you're not doing a good job. And it was, of course, a joke um, that we had in our office. But it, that's what you feel like. You go back so many times that you really develop relationships and people know that you're going to show up and mm-hmm. that you're counting on them to do something for them. Right. Well, that, and that's, that's a good way to do it, you know, because then they feel not bad, but, you know, they, they have that, you know, desire then to help you if they know you're a good person. But kind of the second part of that question is what was what was the pushback on this? I mean, was it just money because that was the one reason money. the one rep- representative? Uh, but it was already allocated. It wasn't new money. Right. So, again, I know you don't want to build relationships right. and you don't want to burn bridges or anything like that. I think but- the pushback is basically that... I think it was really the money. And once they understood that it wasn't allocating new money, like it was an old money. And then Hughes Camps pushed back as he says he doesn't support anything that's not a farm bill. Um, and then for then they, yeah, that's not true, number one. And when I brought that up, then they said, have people call our office. And I had their office flooded with calls, and that still didn't work. Or not flooded, but quite a few people I know for a fact called, and they still didn't. For, for the listeners at home, you couldn't see my shocked face yeah. as <laughs> she said that. Okay. What about the argument, though, that you mentioned earlier that advancing this issue is not just a woman's rights or a woman's issue, but this is an issue that goes across the board. This is for the betterment of society in general. If we prevent breast mm-hmm. cancer, we lower our, our medical costs. Well, one of the one I- of the other pushbacks that I got from this particular bill was why breast cancer? Why not pancreatic cancer? Why not lung? My dad died of lung cancer. So why not lung cancer? Why aren't you here advocating for an end to lung cancer? And I'm thinking, you know, what we, the science that comes out of these studies is used in other diseases. Number one, number two, we already allocate so much money to breast cancer. It's October and everybody's thinking pink. Everybody from your local, you know, from our NFL teams to, Heck, I think KFC last year had pink buckets of chicken, <laughs> you know, and that pink isn't solving anything. I think everybody's aware that breast cancer happens. It just doesn't. Right. So doesn't that bring up kind of a, a kind of a saturation issue that uh, most people think, well, right. yeah, yeah, already, it's already being covered. Who cares? But I mean, somebody's it, it, going yeah. to do it. And that's the thing. It comes from when it's sat- oversaturated like that, like you have to say that this isn't what we're doing. I'm not looking for a new, I'm not looking for a new medicine. I'm not looking for a new cure. I'm looking for an end to breast cancer. Like what I want to do is prevent prevent it from occurring in the first place. We have vaccinations for like cervical cancer mm-hmm. and and I would like to see the same with breast cancer and we have some of those in trials now, I believe. Um, and we also are looking for an end to metastatic tumors because 95% of cancer deaths are caused not by the primary breast cancer tumor, but by when it metastasizes, yeah, when and it metastasizes to other areas. Okay. Because a tumor is a tumor. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't really care if you're voting for a, only for a farm bill or not. Right. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, you talked about a little bit about uh, President Obama's campaign. We're going to talk about that here in a, a second. But um, one of the other uh, uh, committees that you're, organizations that you're involved in is the, the Kansas NAACP. When most people think Johnson County, they don't think NAACP. I mean, obviously, that I wouldn't say that that's kind of racist, but it's just one of those things. You, it is. You know, <laughs> yeah, when, you, yeah, you know, when you when you think Overland Park, you think whitey, well, yeah, um, old white men, old white men. Yes, um, or young white men, but uh, you know, just white men in general. Um, 
how is it, uh, the NAACP involved here in, in Kansas and uh, obviously the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People? What issues are they uh, uh, fighting for here in, in Kansas? Well, um, I can speak on behalf of some things we've done locally. Um, our Johnson County chapter is over 500 members strong. We have monthly meetings, and typically we have about 40 to 50 people show up at the monthly meetings. So I'd say about 50 to 100 active members. Um, it's always a different mix of people. We hold a lot of community events, trying to get community engagement. Um, we have a legal redress committee that deals with with racial profiling complaints, which actually you get quite a bit of in Johnson County. Yeah. Um, and we also, uh, my end, I'm the political action chair. We've had community forums and other things, but this year I'm looking at doing a few things different, looking more to address some of the other issues that aren't addressed locally in our state, such as judicial appointment. I don't know if you've read, uh, I think, Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Hmm. talking about the incarceration rates of black men. Which is extremely high. Yes. Um, But when you look at not only, I mean, there's many different factors to that. And the laws, the, you know, the representation that they get the society the way society is built like there's it's it goes very deep but one of the things that i think really affects the way the people the 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 fairness of our judicial system is or the equity in our judicial system is the fact that certain groups aren't represented on the bench right and one of those are, there are no, I think that, I forget the statistic in Kansas, but there are hardly any African-American judges in Kansas. Mm-hmm. It's not because we have a lack of qualified ones, uh, of attorneys and people that could be on the bench. It's just that they're not being appointed. Um, recently, I appointed, or I attended two different nominating commission meetings for the 10th Circuit here, where a young or a established black attorney was up there, black woman attorney, a female attorney, and she, of course, we aren't advocating for her to be considered for appointment simply because she's black or simply because she's a woman. But she was very well qualified, and she wasn't even one of the three names that were sent up to Brown back to be considered for the appointment. Well, that's not a shocker. No. But uh, <laughs> let me ask you this: uh, actually, a, a gentleman from law school. He was a year ahead of me. He is actually, I think, he may have been. He's been nominated, but I don't know if he was selected to go onto the bench in Wyandotte County. But I'll talk to you about that off the air. Dumb question on my part: African American or black? There are some people that have. What What do you say? What is? I mean, obviously for me, it's it, it's a descriptor. I mean, what is the political correct term? And is you're that asking, even is that even acceptable to say? I mean, what's you're asking the white woman? Here. Yeah, I know. Um, and that's the other no, question. Like that's, How? What? You know, you're, yeah. you're a white woman. Why are you involved in the NAACP? You know, that's um, it, for me. Number one, white or, or black or African American. I to be honest, I don't even think about. it. I just say whatever mm. comes to my my mind. And uh, if somebody's uncomfortable with it. And the, they, you know, I, I hope that they have enough confidence in, in my open mindedness to, to approach me and tell me that. Yeah. The NAACP is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Which it's is an archaic, yes, yeah, which is an archaic term. But... It's not Mexican people. It's not white people. It's colored people. And we're all a color. And I see 
racism is a huge issue and I see a lot of similarities between that and the sexism issues and and I, th- I see it as a civil rights issue still. Um, when I was younger, I remember thinking I wanted to be Mar- the next Martin Luther King, like a civil rights attorney like Martin, not the next, but like Martin Luther King when I grew up. And then I was like, but racism has already been solved. I grew up in a small town in Kansas. And, you know, it wasn't until later on that I, I started seeing things and I'm like, oh, it hasn't been solved. And <laughs> <laughs> it is alive and well yes, in small town thriving. Kansas. Let it's, me, it's let a, me tell you. It's alive and well in big cities across <laughs> the United States. You know, there's nowhere where I haven't seen it. Um, everywhere from working in retail to driving down the street with maybe, um, a friend who was black and getting pulled over for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I believe the technical term is, is driving while black. Um, some of my friends, I, I, there's a great story. One of my coworkers, he he was uh, uh, American Samoan, mm-hmm. and he and uh, three friends were in a car, and they got pulled over just mm-hmm. basically because they were a minority. And, and, and that really, it kind of actually pushed him. He didn't go to law school, but it kind of started the wheels turning, and it, that was just for him that snap moment he was like why are you doing this i mean we were doing nothing wrong other than the color of our skin i've seen it several times a friend had her one of my friend's boyfriends was black and he was walking across the street with a backpack on and got stopped because there are a lot of car burglaries in the area well obviously he was doing something wrong i mean he had a backpack backpack she has two master's degrees i believe (laughs) i mean this man was very educated you know i've it's really sad um, what happened still, and it's, it's not shocking, but it is shocking because you think here it is 2013 and we're still fighting this crap. Right, and you know, recently we had an incident over on uh, 75th and Row where the, an individual ran from the police in, in a high-speed uh, uh, car accident mm-hmm. and killed, you know, there was an individual killed, and he was an African-American uh, man, um, and then you start to look at some of the comments, and right away when you found out that he was he was black... Man, they they transition into racist comments really quick, you yeah. know. About you know, obviously he's a drug dealer. You know, he was thirty one and driving a Mercedes. You know, there's the implication there that he has to be a drug dealer because he's driving a Mercedes. I don't know anything about that, and he may be. I don't know anything, but it's just interesting. To draw that parallel, yeah. How quickly it just those comments come out of people. No, and, yeah, and yeah. it's perfectly acceptable. And I didn't realize how acceptable. Except, uh, acceptable it was until I started doing immigration organizing. Mm-hmm. And with Hispanics especially, um, my son looks Hispanic. His dad is from the Philippines. I'm Italian-Dutch mix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my kid's pretty dark-complected, and he, he, he looks Hispanic. And I didn't realize how acceptable it was for people to make racist comments towards Hispanic people the Latino population until I started doing immigration organizing and I made parallels between things people said to me when I was out with my son or, and I can't point to specific instances, but sometimes the feeling you get or somebody's asking, what is he? I'm like, he's a boy. <laughs> I'm like, he's, oh, he's a little I'm boy. Like, he's how old? Yeah, he's nine now. Nine. But I mean, like he was littler, littler and they'd be like, his skin is so beautiful. What is he? And I would say, <laughs> 
I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, <laughs> we don't know who the dad is yet. Or like I'd make a joke or, you know, try to make them feel like a jerk then at that point. His skin is so beautiful. That, yeah, that's it. That's interesting. And you, and you do hear that that comment a lot about how, uh, you know, mixed, mixed race hear, children are yes. like, oh, they're so pretty. Yes, I hear mixed race children. I'm like, they are so cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've kind of gotten off into, into a tangent here. So let's wrap this up with uh, some points from you about... Let's say that I'm just, I'm that 16 year old kid and I suddenly feel passionate about a, uh, a cause. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give? You know, recently for the Women's Political Caucus, we had last year an eighth grade girl write in from Johnson County. And she asked me that. She asked the caucus that, and the, the administrative assistant for us sent that at the time, sent it to me to answer um, because she was in Kansas. But she had said, there's, a, you know, I, I'm doing a research paper and I'm seeing so much about violence against women globally. What is the number one thing that I can do to make a difference? And my answer was that was to get involved politically, um, to, to claim your political power. Because when we advance ourselves, when we claim our political power, when we claim our voice, our seat at the table, um, where we're incredibly represented, we start to make changes. And those changes filter down through society. It's that trickle-down theory with economics. But um, you can start small. At the same time, it's not the trickle-down because you, you don't just go up and claim political power. You start small in your community. You build relationships. And you make those steps up to claim that power. Um, so I would suggest that you start talking to people. Uh, you start sharing your ideas. And you start not just talking but listening. Um you find out what people's self-interests are. You define your own self-interest. You find out what their self-interest is. And you see how you can get those two to meet. And um, through that, you can get the changes made that you want to see done. Build relationships. Mm-hmm. And then also, yeah, you mentioned their um, their self-interest. So that kind of goes beyond uh, goes into the relationship building. You, you establish something, a quality relationship, and it becomes more than just about your cause. Right. And that way you can kind of work it back in. Because have you found that uh, maybe there are some less successful advocates that because they only focus on their issue, that gets closed doors? I mean, that, you oh, know, if, if somebody comes in. I see in that my, a lot. Yeah. And I've, had, I've been in meetings with several different organizations I worked for. And they'd say, well, we were reluctant, reluctant to meet with you because somebody else from that organization met with us before. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of went in and tried to do their own thing. Right. And I'm like, or I'll see people, you know go to meetings that only promote their cause. Right. And I'm like, you're not here to promote yourself. You're here to be engaged in a community, in a community and this meeting and, you know, in this organization, you have to be a part of a community before you can really change it, I think. And or you at least have to understand it. Definitely. All right. So, uh, we talked about the NAACP. We've talked about the national breast cancer coalition. What are a couple other ones? If you want to throw out a shout out for your, uh, the, your organizations, the greater Kansas city women's political caucus, um, has been huge to me. They've been mentors to me. They've taught me so much about how to run effective campaigns and how to be, uh, be a, a strong candidate and also be, you know, a, a good, powerful leader. Um, there's so many, when I go to meetings, I'm always amazed by how many, how many powerful women we have in this room and how many strong, intelligent or strong women with all these intelligent ideas are floating around. And I see the power to make changes, um, within the women's political caucus. And I really encourage people to, to get involved and help us get progressive women elected. 
All right. Well, a uh, couple websites. You want to throw out some websites as well? Uh, the Greater Kansas City Women's Political Caucus dot org. I think it's GK. Uh, cwpc.org and then also the national breast cancer coalition it is breast cancer awareness month um breast cancer deadline 2020.org i believe it is um or deadline 2020.org if you google the national breast cancer coalition i'm pretty sure it's breast cancer deadline 2020.org but um they have not just they're they've gone beyond the think pink and the pink washing and really developed a strategy and made their goal to find an end to breast cancer by 2020. Save second base. Kind of a sexist tagline, but I, I think it's so clever. You know, save second base. So you, you have a lot of that. You, you made some statements, and I love some of these uh, the comments that you made. You know, claim your political power. Um, you know, we are all uh, we are all color. I, I think those are those are not lines, but I think those are just great ideas and that those are things that we really should remember and and go from there i mean definitely claiming your political power unless you have a million dollars and you can you know fake start a uh, right. grassroots yeah, room and, yeah, yeah you know like the tea parties yes. that were started by coke and right. claiming that they're you know grassroots movement but i i like those and i think those are things that you know we can even as men we can grab onto and, and say yeah we, we're going to support an end to this and and you know again we're not just advancing, you're not just advancing women's rights, you're advancing society as well because we want to make sure that we have a better better society. Lowers our uh, medical cost if we can do that. Again, as mentioned earlier, we are drinking Blue Moon, which is a Belgian wheat out of Colorado. I completely butchered it and said that was by New Belgian. It is not. I'm sorry to... Um, slander new belgian but it's actually oh, I'm, oh I'm, I'm kidding actually it's it's a good beer uh i mean it is owned by one of the you know big evil breweries but it is a good beer uh, i like it uh, we didn't have an orange today which is kind of the usual accompaniment to it but it's nice it's light it's 11 o'clock in the morning so um you gotta start easy you, gotta start easy. you can't roll in with something heavy but uh, mike's got a little bit more from the uh the blue moon uh, website to describe Blue Moon. Okay, this is the history of the Blue Moon uh, Belgian whites that we've been drinking. It started with their brewmaster, Keith Villa, wanting to craft a beer inspired by the flavorful Belgian wits he enjoyed while studying brewing in Belgium. He brewed his inspiration using Valencia orange peel versus the traditional tart Curacao orange peel for a subtle sweetness. Then he had oats and wheat to create a smooth, creamy finish that's inviting to the palate. As a final touch, he garnished the beer with a orange slice to heighten the citrus aroma and taste. Its natural, unfiltered appearance adds to the depth of flavors in Belgian whites. And uh, while I have the microphone, uh, we mentioned this the last podcast uh, on uh, Saturday. October 26, I will be teaching a university class in citizen journalism. It runs from 12 to 2 at the Downtown Library in downtown Kansas City at 10th and Baltimore. Uh, go to umkc.edu slash commu, C-O-M-M-U, to uh, sign up for the class and uh, find out more details. The class is 10 bucks. 
All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, throwing out that plug there. So Saturday, October 26th, you can come down and catch Mike uh, and learn a little bit about citizen journalism. Citizen journalism is much like community organizi- organizing. You know, it's one of those things you just go out there and you start and you can call yourself a citizen journalism or a community organizer. But at the end of the day, you have the ability to maybe accomplish something good, whether that is a small change or a large scale change. Get out there, get involved and do something. It doesn't have to be... Uh, a major thing to change the world. Maybe it's something about getting, you know, a 25 mile an hour speed limit posted in your in your neighborhood so people don't speed down your street. So get out there, get involved. Amber, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, great stories. I know we kind of went off on a tangent on the kind of some of the background there, but uh, you have a, a wealth of knowledge, and we really appreciate everything that you do for these causes. And, and thank you very much. So visit uh, the National Breast Cancer Coalition website. Visit the NAACP website um, for events that are coming up. And then, I'm sorry, the, the, the Kansas, Kansas City Women's, Women's Political, Political Caucus. Caucus. You can uh, visit that website as well. Uh, real quick, before we end, is there anything coming up in the next week that you'd like to have people attend? Uh, next weekend is our state conference, the Kansas NAACP State Conference in Salina. And I believe we you can find information about us on Facebook as well. I think we have a Facebook page and um, also through the Johnson County NAACP Facebook page. And also please like us, the, the Women's Political Caucus on Facebook too. We have information on our meetings. Um, they're the, say the fourth Thursday at 530 at All Souls in Kansas City. We start with a social hour and our social half hour, and then at 6 o'clock, we, we start our meeting. So. So they, they never last just a half yeah. hour. They always <laughs> extend. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. I want to thank uh, Big Dave's Liquor, which is down on uh, Santa Fe and uh, downtown Overland Park. That's where we purchased the the Blue Moon for today's podcast. Uh, any upcoming events, uh, please check out our, uh, our website or our Facebook page for uh, more information about that. We'll also have a link to a number of uh, uh, the web pages that were mentioned here. Um, you can email me for uh, upcoming topics at zach at zachluya.com. Uh, we have some things in the work uh, works, so we'll, we'll be announcing those here shortly. And we're going to hit some issues about judicial selection, maybe school funding. So we, we got a little bit in the works coming up for the end of the year. And then after the uh, first part of the year, we're going to start again in the uh, legislative session, which will be interesting and see how that goes but again if you have any suggestions for topics please email me at zach at zachluya.com at z-a-c-h at z-a-c-h-l-u-e-a.com thank you and good day thanks for